This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 6, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. How do policymakers predict the likelihood of terrorist events? How should they do so? Ben Friedman, Research Fellow in Defense and Homeland Security Studies at the Cato Institute, believes that all too often estimates come out of thin air. Policymakers too often choose alarmism over real risk assessment. Friedman will be among the speakers at the Cato Institute's Counterterrorism Conference scheduled for next week. You can register at Cato.org. All over the media a few weeks ago was this report, uh, uh, bipartisan commission report chaired by former Senator James Talent and former Senator Bob Graham uh, on WMD, Weapons of Mass Destruction. And uh, uh, it was one of these blue ribbon commissions, and uh, they made a number of sensible recommendations in the report about dealing with uh, nuclear and uh, biological weapons proliferation. But they also said, and this is what grabbed all the headlines, that it's 50 percent likely, in other words, more likely than not, that there'll be some kind of WMD attack in the next five years uh, perpetrated by terrorists somewhere in the world. And what I found striking about that claim was there was no justification for it anywhere in that 100-page report. In other words, what they said was that, well, we talked to a lot of experts, and that's sort of uh, where we came down, our gut feeling. But there's no math, no quantitative justification for them to come up with that. So I think they basically just decided to make an alarmist statement uh, in order to generate headlines, and it worked. And I think, you know, if you did uh, really sit down and try to figure out how likely it is, and you were fair and honest about it, you'd come down with something far lower. It's still still a, a, a chance, and, uh, and a chance high enough, uh, given the consequences, that you'd want to have pretty robust measures to, uh, you know, prevent proliferation and, and uh, re- respond to attacks, but uh, a much lower chance than they said. How do you begin to even calculate the likelihood of something like that? Well, I, I think basically th- there's two ways to think about it, and uh, one uh, to simplify, and, and one is historic, and one is ahistoric. And the conventional wisdom says that the attack, the likelihood of a, a terrorist WMD attack, is uh, ahistoric. And uh, what I mean by that is they say that there's a trend in the proliferation of weapons technology, bio and uh, nuke in particular. And let me just say before I continue that we should abolish the term weapons of mass destruction because it consumes or includes uh, types of weapons uh, that are really vastly different in lethality and therefore confuses policy destructions. Chemical weapons, in my view, are not weapons of mass destruction because historically they haven't caused mass destruction. They've caused something on the order of destruction similar to artillery or something like that. So we're really talking about nukes and bio, nuclear and biological weapons. And uh, the, tr- the claim is that the, the technology is being democratized. It's available on the internet, how you, how you create a, a gun-type nu- uh, nuclear weapons device. Uh, you know, we're, we're moving into an age where, you, in theory, you can create uh, biological pathogens in pretty simple laboratories. And meanwhile, there's another trend of extremist uh, terrorism, which is, uh, if not spreading, uh, more prevalent than it was in past ages. So we have these two trends which will uh, basically make the past bunk. So there's this ahistoric uh, idea that we, we can't evaluate the odds of this kind of thing based on the past, and therefore we just sort of default to worst-case assumptions. And I think that's what the uh, WMD report, uh, the, the Tenant Graham report did, and I think that's what uh, a lot of analysts do. Now, I tend to think that that's overstated. The, there have been nukes, bio uh, weapons for some time, uh, j- uh, a few decades at least, and there's also been 
uh, apocalyptic jihadist type terrorism aimed at the United States at least since 1993 and aimed at other countries probably longer. So um, the idea that this is all new is a little bit overstated. We've we've um, seen these sort of predictions that the world is about to come unglued in terms of technology and that democ- uh, violence, mass violence is democratizing, and it hasn't come true yet. And I, th- I think we need to look at why. So uh, I think that the past is instructive. And what we've seen is that um, Al-Qaeda uh, and, and other terrorist groups have been remarkably unsuccessful at attempts to use WMD technology, a term that I don't like. Uh, the the, the Al-Qaeda's attempt to make biological weapons in Afghanistan never even came close to not, not just succeeding in terms of using a weapon, but um, they didn't really come close to producing anything of, of uh, any deadly pathogens. Uh, Chemical weapons, which again I don't think are as deadly uh, as as bio, uh, you know the the Japanese called them Shinriko used them on the on the subway in Tokyo. They killed eleven people, so uh, that's bad, uh, terrible tragedy for those eleven or twelve people, whatever it was. Uh, that's bad for them, but it's and their families, but it's it's uh, not mass destruction. Um, and uh, terrorists, as far as we know, have had no success making uh, nukes, uh, uh, you know, or stealing fissile material. Al Qaeda apparently bought. Um, some some uh, phony uh, fissile material on the black market at one time, although that story is a little doubtful. So the past is instructive, and, and you know the terrorist organizations haven't been very successful. And then you want to look at why, and you know there, there's there's ways of evaluating uh, th- these uh, the odds of this. And, and John Mueller, uh, the political scientist at Ohio State, tries to do this in his book on nuclear terrorism, or his articles on nuclear terrorism, which he's making into a book, and he says, look. Perpetrating an act of, of nuclear terrorism is a is a is a process that has st- several stages. You need to get fissile materials or manufacture it. The chances of terrorists manufacturing it are basically zero because it's a complex industrial process. You need to uh, so you need to steal fissile materials. That's there's a certain o- amount of odds associated with that. You need you then need to manufacture some kind of device. You need some kind of engineering expertise to do that. You got to get an engineer or some kind of scientist to help you with that. There's a certain amount of odds associated with that. You might fail. Then you need to manufacture this weapon uh, uh, without alerting the police wherever you live or, or the, or the uh, uh, security personnel. And uh, there's a certain odds associated with that. And then you need uh, to somehow transport the weapon that you've manufactured, presumably across a border, because most, uh, if, if you're planning on attacking the United States, probably you've done it outside the United States. So um, the bottom line is there's a number of steps. Each, each of the steps has odds associated with them. And if you say, well, any failure at any point ruins the attack, then you have to multiply the odds. So if you say 1 in 10 times 1 in 10 times 1 in 10 times 1 in 10 times 1 in 10, you come down with pretty low odds. And that's what Mueller does in his book on, on, uh, on, on nuclear terrorism. It says, look, the odds really aren't that high. And I tend to agree with that, with that sort of analysis. The other element of, of it that you want to look at is what kind of organizations are we dealing with? Historically, mass violence has been perpetrated by bureaucratized, large organizations, which states have. So, you know, what a, what a bureaucratized, what does a bureaucracy give you? It gives you a division of labor, stored knowledge, training, uh, uh, and uh, terrorist organizations, particularly Al-Qaeda, have been disaggregated and disorganized. That's advantageous to them, maybe in some ways, but in terms of uh, the sort of industrial processes associated with making uh, very deadly weapons, uh, it's it's a huge disadvantage. And we tend not to talk about that very much. So um, in, in long story short, there's um, 
these weapons are not that easy to manufacture. Uh, the organizations that we're up against are not that organized. That's not to say that those conditions will hold forever. It's certainly dangerous, and we ought to uh, you know, be doing very aggressive things to prevent proliferation, but it's easy to overstate the danger. If you say that the, uh, the, the threat is overstated, what's the real cost of overstating a threat of a, of a large-scale nuclear or biological attack? I think there's a tendency in American politics towards threat exaggeration because it helps accomplish things in public policy. So we have a federal government which has a lot of veto points. In other words, you know, changing policy is hard. You you have a, a bureaucracy, if it's the Pentagon or the Department of Energy, you have the Congress, you have uh, other parts of the executive branch, and um, w- one of the ways, uh, in theory, to get stuff done is to create a sense of alarm to sort of move the Leviathan, move the behemoth. And, you know, there's an old, this is an old hypothesis associated, I think, uh, uh, with Ted Lowy or Theodore Lowy, who uh, was a political scientist who um, invented, I think, the term oversell to say, you know, here's a method of getting stuff done. You have to create a sense of crisis. Uh, and I think there's some of that going on. The trouble is, even if you agree with the objectives, so I think a lot of the people who exaggerate the threat have um, basically sensible aims like, um, you know, keeping the United States engaged with Russia to secure fissile materials, which I support. Uh, the trouble is that uh, when you create a sense of fear, it's hard to push it in the direction that you want. So uh, you wind up with uh, on uh, consequences you didn't plan for because other people maybe hijack the fear, so to speak, and do things like invading the wrong country, uh, Iraq, which was not conducive, I think, uh, to nonproliferation goals, or um, – uh, you wind up with other results like spending a lot of money on um, homeland defense measures uh, like grants to ports that really I think is basically pork and, and, and not um, helpful to reducing the threat. Ben Friedman is a research fellow in defense and homeland security studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be among the speakers at the Cato Institute's counterterrorism conference to be held next week. You could register at Cato.org.